This is Catalog and Cocktails. Hello, everyone. Welcome. It is Wednesday, and you know what time it is. It's time for Catalog and Cocktails. It's an honest, no BS, non-salesy conversation about enterprise data management. I'm Tim Gasper, longtime data nerd and product guy, joined by Juan. Hi, Tim. I'm Juan Cicada. I'm the principal scientist here at Data.World. And as always, it's a pleasure to take a break in the middle of the week, end of Wednesday, and have a great chat about data. And today we have a very special guest. All our guests are special, but this is a very, very special guest because uh, this person is one of the biggest inspirations for the existence of cataloging cocktails. And that is Cindy Housen, who is a chief data strategy officer at ThoughtSpot and the host of the Data Chief podcast, which I've been listening forever. And, and when I heard it, I have to be very honest, I was jealous. I'm like, I want to do that. And here we're doing it. So Cindy, it's great to finally have you here. When I heard you the first time, I'm like, we're going to do a podcast and we're going to have Cindy as a guest. And it's now true. So it's a reality. Well, <laughs> it, it, <laughs> what a what a welcome and thank you. It's an honor to be here. And I think your podcast is wonderful as well. Um, all of these are a labor of love, aren't they? It, it is. This is something that we have it on our calendars. Like we, this is an important thing. Like no, nobody trumps these meetings at all. This podcast, like this is something that we do. We love, and I look forward to it every Wednesday. I move my calendar, my schedule, my travel, everything to make sure that this always happens. So yeah, your podcast is higher risk than my podcast though. <laughs> Because mine is is recorded. Yours is live. Like, what if the internet goes out? What if I say something inappropriate? Um, We do Data Chief Live. So we did extend to LinkedIn Live, let's say. But yeah, your your podcast is higher risk, I think. It's more, it's fun. It's uh, it's like Saturday Night Live, right? It's like, uh, hopefully... You know, <laughs> and if some swearing happens, it happens. We've all agreed that PG-13 is the rating we're going for. So you're good there. Okay. Well, this is, this is why it's the honest no BS, right? Because, <laughs> hey, we're going to be here live. And so we're going to just be honest about it. So, yeah. hey, uh, let's kick it off with our tell and toast. So what are you drinking and what are we toasting for? Cindy. Well, <laughs> it's a Thursday night, so I don't drink during the week. So I have um, my green iced tea in my beach cup, my Tervis tumblers. I love those, but I feel like I should tell you, um, well, we wouldn't use these on a Friday night, but for Thanksgiving or special occasions, these glasses were a gift from a dear friend. They were part of the um, Waterford Millennial Edition. So one is for, um, you have different insignias. So one is for hope, one is for peace. And listen to this, listen, will this come out? Oh, that was nice. Yeah. So what are we toasting? I don't know. There's so much uh, to toast. We at ThoughtSpot, we have our Beyond Conference next Tuesday. My heavy, heavy lift is done, but I'm so thrilled. The customers, the partners that um, will be sharing there, we... um, From a family perspective, my family is getting together for Thanksgiving for the first time in two years. So we will have these glasses and I get to see my in-laws. I'm one of these people that I actually love my in-laws in the UK. 
um, for Christmas and haven't seen them in two and a half years. So I'm a lot to toast. I think cheers for family for sure. So yes. Tim, how, how about you? What are you drinking? What are you toasting for? Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm drinking a gin and tonic today. So keeping it kind of simple and, um, yes, agreed, Cindy. It's great to see family, especially as things get a little bit more opened up now and get to getting to see each other. And, uh, I'm actually going to also cheers to, um, my son who's six got his COVID vaccine, uh, his first shot on, on Monday. So very excited about that. I know COVID is a frequent topic here of things that we're grateful for the progress when it happens and, uh, and, and grateful for that. Yeah, that is great. I I know that is the big, I was talking to a customer today and said that is the biggest reason why people have not wanted to get together. It is about protecting the children. So happy for your son. The gin and tonics, you know, the Brits drink a lot of gin and tonics. I don't know if it was invented there. Like you can have watermelon gin and tonic. Um, There's so many flavors. (laughs) Yeah, I, I used to drink them more. And I'll be honest, I've been on such a whiskey kick lately that like I'm trying I'm trying to get back into some gin and some other drinks. So it's uh, it's making a resurgence here. OK, well, I was this weekend uh, with my in-laws celebrating to be with family. Uh, luckily, my in-laws live in Playa del Carmen in Cancun area. So that's where I get to go there. And so I'm having a Mexican mule. So a tequila and ginger beer. And I'm going to cheer for just being in family. Kind of the good holidays are coming. We're going to be spending more time with family. So I'm really excited about that. So cheers, everyone. I love it. Cheers. 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 All right. So we we got our our warm-up funny question here. So what's something that's not self-service today, but probably should be? Um, who wants to take that out? Who has, who has a, a funny answer or a real or or, or a serious answer? <laughs> well, so I'll I'll do both. Like I was like, wow, you you are going to stump me on the first question, <laughs> but you know, I I think um, so. Analytics we can make self service, but we don't have analytics without data. And so actually getting to that data, ingesting that data, provisioning that data, especially when you start talking external data, I would like to see that whole process a little more self-service and low-code powered. That's like on the tech side. <laughs> on, on the fun side, well, um, you know, I'm I'm also a coffee drinker, right? So I was in San Francisco last week and I saw a robot making coffee. Now, I'm also a Starbucks fangirl, so like that was not going to happen. But imagine on a Friday night, if you could say self-service, um, hey, can somebody get me a glass of wine and I don't have to um, do it myself or wait for the middle person if i could mix my own wine um could we could we make that more self-service well actually i I enjoy picking out my wine so i wouldn't want that to be self-service i enjoy that process myself but hey good but i think it's going to go into a good conversation about the self-service aspect we have today but anyways tim you got an answer here uh, you know, I was trying to think of of something here. I'll, I'll go with a funny answer, which is that um, I think it would be cool to make superhero movies, you know, like we got the Eternals coming out and things like that. And I was wondering, maybe maybe the new iPhone, the iPhone 45 is going to help me do that. So <laughs> that will be interesting. Yeah, that will definitely change things for you, what you're watching on YouTube. 
<laughs> right. Just think of the TikToks, right? I mean, <laughs> no, let's not. Let's no. not. <laughs> no, let, let, let's get into our honest, no BS discussion here. So, Cindy, when we've, we've been having some chats in the past, and, and you gave this really awesome analogy I enjoyed about the self service, and you said it's like Spotify, right? Now, now anyone can be a DJ. So, if anybody can be a DJ, now anyone can be an analyst, right? With the self service BI. Honest, no BS. Should they? I mean, I have awesome taste in music, I think, but I'm not sure if you're going to like my party if I'm the DJ. So should everyone be the DJ? Should everyone actually be an analyst here? Yes. Well, no. You said, you sh so you, you phrased that two different ways, Juan. Okay. So the first one, should everyone be a DJ? Yes. Should everyone be able to ask data-oriented questions? Yes. Should everyone be an analyst? No. Mm. And that's that mm. to me is the very important difference. I don't want everyone having to learn SQL. Um, for example, I don't want everyone learning hard to use tools. And and actually, my my dad was a DJ, so I can picture Spotify and his contraption, <laughs> his stereo. If there was an eleventh commandment, don't touch dad's stereo. And and I wouldn't want to learn his stereo, his sound system, all of that. But Spotify is easy enough. I can make my own playlist. So that's what we want to happen for analytics is that it's approachable, easy enough where the business person has a question and they can get that answer and they can ask the next question, the next question. Um, and, and then even more visionary would be insight to action. But that's what we need to get to. Not that we're training people in hard to use tools. All right. I, I really like how you've been, how you made, we're very explicit about this, right? Can I ask, I got a specific question. Give me the answer. Yes. I need to be, I should be able to go ask any question. I want to get an answer. But when it comes to like do the analysis, trying to understand, trying to find correlations, trends around that, that's where you have to be careful. And that's where we need to have people who are trained for this particular job as a data analyst. So are we on, are we tracking here? Is this how you, is this? Yes. Yes. And so you do need there, there's training in the technology and there's training in the business and the data that supports the business. And that's what we need to watch. Interesting. Technology. Okay. So I like this training the technology and training the, in the, in the business. So, um, I'm I'm curious now that you you work for Thoughtspot, a BI company, very and I don't, without us getting too much salesy inside with respect to Thoughtspot, I'd love to go if you can share kind of the trends that you're seeing right now in BI. I'm very curious to see are these kind of all everybody's going in the right in the same direction, different directions, conflicting directions right now when it comes to BI because people are saying BI is dead, right? And where's the next BI and so <laughs> forth, right? So a, a, a lot of chatter around BI right now. So curious to see what you're seeing the trends then. Yeah, and I'm even bristling that you you use the word BI. <laughs> I uh, we prefer to use the word analytics, and Thoughtspot mm. is an analytics platform. We could talk about how things get. I, I will. I will say that I use the word BI on purpose because if I Google it, because I actually did it, and Google it says Thoughtspot is a business intelligence and a big data analytics platform. And actually, even actually on Wikipedia, you guys show up as a business intelligence company. 
So yeah, and and so this is how do you define a software category and what does it really mean? It, it, I was actually at Gartner when we we had to change the name of the magic quadrant to analytics and BI, and even getting that as the first word um, was was a process. But so what what ThoughtSpot does is search and AI driven insights on top of your modern cloud platform. And so the vision here and and we have a consumer grade ease of use. So our head of design comes from Pinterest and Apple. And I think that's really an important secret sauce that we probably don't talk enough about. Now, keep in mind, I have only been at ThoughtSpot two and a half years, but I've been in the BI and analytics industry for 30. Mm -hmm. So I was, I was talking about mainstream BI, BI for everyone for years and started writing about search as an approach to letting people get to their data back in 2007. So five years before ThoughtSpot was even formed. So that's how important I think this is um, and why it is democratizing data for those non-analysts. And you know what? It's also giving joy back to the analysts because they are <laughs> so tired of working weekends, spending weeks and months on dead-end dashboards that ultimately didn't ask the question that the business person really wanted to ask. So this kind of all ties back to this concept of enabling the everyday business users and, and business folk to not have to be an analyst to get answers to questions. Yes. Um, and you mentioned about search. You mentioned about um, you know, the user experience, you know, having folks that have worked at, you know, some of these, you know, consumer sort of places that, that have this perspective. Um, I, I you know, what else is, are there other drivers that go with enabling everyday business users in business? I, I know you all talk about, for example, sort of like the death of the dashboard. Like, are there yes. other factors here that kind of go into making this more accessible? Yeah, well, into making it more accessible or to making self-service are are two things. Um, mm -hmm. So in terms of making it more accessible, it is making it beautiful. It's making it easy. It's anticipating the next question. And so that's where the AI comes in. But it's also enabling it at a scale and so this is where the cloud ecosystems, I think, is definitely an industry trend. So if you think the history of data and analytics, historically, we've had to make design choices because things didn't scale. We had to extract data um, into small in-memory cubes or what have you to get to reasonable performance. And when you look at what some of our partners like Snowflake or Databricks, the Delta Lake, the performance on the volumes of data that they're getting at, you, you can break these legacy processes. And so now we're giving people more granular data. And that, as one CDO said to me, that's where the money is. That's where the valuable insights are and for years, like data has just been aggregated into dashboards or cubes because that was state of the art at a point in time.
That's a, a long-winded answer. I have to get my answer shorter. Good podcast guests are shorter. No, this is this is good. What we'll, what we'll do is we'll to use a BI term here. Let's do a drill down. Okay. Um, so uh, on this particular topic, um, it, it, does that mean like you know, kind of trying to do less obfuscation? Like for example, like a dashboard might like boil straight down to like this is the monthly number or something like that. And and what you're talking about is like how do we set it up? whether through the pipelines or through the user experiences to allow you to go more to the, let me use the phrase semantics, more to the semantics of the data and operate at that level? Well, I, I don't want to obfuscate anything. Um, mm -hmm. I want to make it easy, but then also um, that you trust it and can explore it. So what we don't want is the dead end. If I really just want a number. If I want to know what my sales are this month um, or last month, I, and that's all I really care about, then make that easy. And that might be, we, we like to call them uh, live boards rather than dashboards. So give me that number. But if that number is not what I had planned, then I'm going to want to drill into it and I'm going to want to get to the lowest level of granularity so I can say, wow, that salesperson is doing great. This salesperson in this region for that product is not doing well. Why not? What, what's going on there? Is it training? Did we have a stock out? What, what's going on? So start with the high level, but do not have a dead end. Does that answer your question? I think so. I think but, so. And, and Juan, yeah, it sounds like you maybe yeah, have a follow-up question there. Well, more of kind of like a comment here about what I'm kind of a takeaway I'm already having is traditionally, I guess, because of the technology, the scale of stuff 10, 15 years ago, we wanted to have aggregated views of things, right? So that's why we're just kind of doing it at, a, at an aggregated level. And we just didn't have the capability to scale to go keep things at a very uh, at a granular level. But now that's not an excuse. Like technology is there, speed is there, scale is there. Like there's no reason why you can't tell me that I can't have granular access. So now we need to be able to think about analysis as not just the aggregated stuff, that what we've been doing for the last 10, 20, 30 years, right? It's doing that probably as a starting point, but now drilling down literally means I should be able to get down to the, to the smallest piece of data if there is a reason that I need to go do that for. Like you said, I want to understand down to this particular salesperson and exactly who are the exact customer they're selling, what are the products that they're selling to. At the end, you can imagine that that's actually a line item inside of the database of an order management system or something. Like I should be able to get all the way down there. So analytics is not just about our general aggregated view. I should be able to go do the entire spectrum from aggregated all the way down to the granular. That's kind of where I'm seeing things uh, based on the discussion up to now. Yes. So there's two points there, though. You said, what is the starting point, the aggregated? Like, please don't aggregate your data. Stop the cube building process. Be careful about the aggregate tables. Is that really necessary? Or do you need to learn how to design in a more performant, agile way in a cloud data platform. So if you're if you're building things on a desktop or on an old database, maybe you had to do these things. But stopping the legacy processes and the legacy thinking it is equally important. So wait, so you're saying that we should stop saving data or 
as, in an aggregate level. We should always have it at the granular level and then be able to go aggregate it le- later. Yes. Well, and I, I'm going to challenge this aggregated later. <laughs> I I don't want you building cubes. That's a legacy technology. That's and yet very... that's the skill set that a lot of people know and feel comfortable with. Well, yeah. I mean, this is, this, this is, I mean, yeah, this, this is just the legacy. This is the traditional ways of, of, of doing building cubes and we need to start what, what's next. I guess part of it is not even just the tools or the technology itself. It's just, it's a data modeling. It's actually how we think about the data right now, how we want people to deliver it. People can actually go use it and access it. Right. They, they want to know what this actually means. Right. It, well, and one thing I'm I'm trying to reconcile in my own head is I, I think Cindy, I kind of agree with your premise here that we, we like this idea of building the cube is no longer necessary and in fact is actually counterproductive. Um, but but also, you know, I start thinking about some of these new technologies, like for example, DBT. Um, and and obviously, folks use DBT to do things like transform. Uh, you know, sort of raw data into more usable forms, perhaps slightly more joined together forms. But you can actually use DBT to go further and actually start to create some of these aggregates and things like that and start storing that in your warehouse too. Do, do you consider that to be a little bit of an anti-pattern there? Or or that's fine, you know, as long as you don't bring that, you know, sort of, you know, as long as the BI world doesn't have to depend on that aggregate view or prevent you from being able to drill down. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't call it an anti-pattern, and uh, we think the work that DBT is doing is great. Um, so mm-hmm. you can hear from from Tristan and um, some of the DBT team next week directly on what we're doing there. But um, and I would say, well, what was the the source if you're working on data? You know, in in raw files that's not performant then yes, you're going to want to aggregate it and persist it somewhere where you're going to get good performance. So it always is about the the price and the performance, but the users will always want performance and not hit a dead end. So that's where that word obfuscate, I don't, I don't want us hiding things um, or giving a, a dead end. Mm. Mm. So, I wanted to touch on, we're talking a little bit about technology here and something we had a discussion before was about the low code and no code. And I think we probably have different uh, perspectives here. I'm curious, how do you see this whole world of now low code and no code when it comes to analytics and and the and analysts and people trying to go answer their questions? Is, is, this, is this really true? Are we really going to have low code, no code to, tools? Yes. Well, I mean, let's let's be honest. Thoughtspot is a low code, no code. Although we if you really want to code, there are certain windows that you can write SQL in if that's what you want to do. Or if you want to code in Python or R and surface that, you can. But but our goal is or let's just say we're in the category of low code, no code for people. Um, we generate the SQL for you. I also look at platforms, let's go broader, let's look at platforms like Data Robot and Data IQ. I mean, this is no code machine learning as well. Our Spot IQ engine also generates um, insights 
running the algorithms for you and you never see what that what that code is. I mean, again, one can argue then that any software itself as a higher level abstraction just becomes a more of a low code, no code type of instance, instantiation of it, right? I mean, uh, I mean, you, you, I mean, you, you, you have content management systems, for example, right? Instead of writing your HTML code, whatever, twenty years ago, whatever. Then, yeah. So I guess higher level. There's just always going to be higher level abstraction, and, and I, I guess also we we we're now seeing uh, features like natural language text. I want to go type things the question, right? This is a one could argue that's all another way of doing low, calling that low code, no code, be able to go answer questions instead of yeah. even dropping things and on on a, on, a, on, a, on a dashboard or whatever to go build. Yeah, and and some of the work like with OpenAI, I think is is quite interesting here as well. So I I think. There's low, I think of low code in terms of some of the development platforms. And then I think of it in terms of the analytics platforms. And I think this low code approach is enabling insights for the non-analysts. And then I think this approach is also what will ultimately drive some of the ecosystem integration so that you really can go from data ingestion to data storage to your analytics to then your predictive and you're able to assemble these applications together with without coding or or low coding change, change awesome. this line in this script and that and that's it so it sounds like for the most part, you're pretty positive about low code, no code, and, and obviously it influences y'all's product and, and others. Is that is that kind of a, a right way to constitute it? Yes. Why would I be negative? Are, are, we, <laughs> are we worried about it? Or <laughs> I think I, well, I, I spoke at VentureBeat and said, is this the death of IT? Um, and, and asked Tom Davenport that question. And I think it, it accelerates um, IT development, there needs to be a governance model in place though. Well, are I, you nervous I, about it? Yeah, I am nervous about it, but I think it is, it, it's not a general, I mean, we can talk about low code and no code kind of from a general perspective, but then we're saying, well, if I'm, if I'm applying it to go do, for example, analytics, that's one thing, but if I'm actually doing low code and no code to actually program, that scares me a lot because you're going to think, I can do that from the general kind of scenarios, but then when you're coding for things, you got so many corner cases and there's so much stuff that at the end uh, you see like the software engineer going and saying, wait, it would have just been much easier, cheaper for me just to go do this because we already have processes around developing software for that. So you kind of made your life easier for like the general case, but then the world is super complicated. So let me go do my work now. That yeah. I, I, that is a concern I have about low code and no code. That, that yeah, you're now empowering to go do all the stuff, but the world isn't that easy. Really, the world is really complicated, and you can't do that at such a higher level abstraction. Okay, so but I ha I have to push back here. Please, Let, let's this. push back. <laughs> and I do think it's like, what's the right application? But are you letting your fear override and squander the potential? And if we, you need processes, but have we been too heavy handed in some processes? And when do you need these processes? So uh, I'll share with you like a, a prediction that I'm noodling. Um, if you look at, we've, we've had data ops, ML ops, 
Do we need to have some analytics ops or engineering ops? And, and there's concepts, you know, coming from somewhat the DBT community, but um, it's the rise of, instead of just the analyst, is it the analytics engineer? And so it's applying some of these engineering principles to the workflow to make sure that it is scalable and repeatable. So I still say give the agility, maybe you need some engineering best practices applied, but at what point? And then I, I, I just want to give you for a point of reference, I think anytime there's something new and disruptive, there can be a culture of fear or you only see where this can go wrong and, and you want to lock it down. And if you, if you go back 60 years, you know, think of how you made a phone call. You had to go through what? A switchboard operator, right? And you would laugh at that now and say, oh, that's such overhead. International calls, even 25 years ago, you had to go through an international operator. Now you're hopping on your FaceTime or whatever. Um, it was only 25 years ago that one of my bosses at Dow Chemical He's, he put out an edict. At that time, the way of communication was telexes. Manager would write it on a piece of paper, hand it over to a secretary who would put it in the telex machine that would print in some room, and you distributed these pieces of paper. That was only 25 years ago. He came out and said, I want everyone writing their own emails. Email was new at that point in time. So I think when we look at low code and no code, taking away some of um, the legacy manual coding processes, um, should we be so afraid? Is it more about assembling and scaling? Super valid point. And it's a reminder of uh, a comment from one of our listeners, Mark Kitson, who always says, uh, you got the brakes in your car. What are they for? A lot of people say, well, I can go slow down. Well, no, they're actually enable me to go fast safely. So I think you, as you mentioned, we see something comes in. This is a change. Like I'm, I'm reacting about the negative things, right? I'm using it as, oh, there's a lot of risk in here, right? I'm breaking. I need to go slow. But, but the valid argument is like, wait, this is a, this could be an opportunity. I can now go fast safely, right? This is what's going to lead us to something new. So. Uh, definitely valid. I, 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 I appreciate your point. And, and I think personally, I need to be more open to this. I still have a lot of my skepticism because we've seen this, this low code, no code thing isn't a, a new thing, right? That's been, been around for a long time in different areas of engineering and stuff. And I've seen this type of, uh, hence my skepticism, right? not just because of something right now, but point well taken. <laughs> I like your analogy though, with the breaks. That's a good one. I'm going to borrow that. I'll credit you. Well, then, and I'm getting credit, I believe, to 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 Mark Kitson, who's one of our listeners who said that before. But yes, great. I love it. I love it. This is a good conversation. And actually, just before we move to the next question, it's got me thinking about how you know some of the benefits that we like from code, and especially when you think about things like DBT and like what how and and things like great expectations and how these kinds of frameworks are being used is that they allow for like testability, versionability. Uh, they're, you know, they fit in well with the CICD concept, 
open, portable, documentable, right? And and a lot of these things you get with code. But, you know, I think in the world of no code, low code, if you can find ways to provide some of those benefits, um, you know, those same, same kinds of principles, uh, but still have that low code, no code type of user experience, that might be like the panacea, the sort of the perfect marriage of these two things. And, and maybe that's where things are kind of headed, right? So I don't yeah. throw that as an idea out there. Um, so for another question here, you know, we've talked a lot about sort of technology and some of the trends there. Um, when you think about helping people to become data DJs and, and kind of help everyone to to be able to ask these questions, how much of this do you think is a, is a technology problem versus a, a culture or a process or, or a people problem? Yeah, it's it's largely culture. And then that combination. So uh, when we do roundtables, workshops around the world with our um, CDOs, uh, chief digital officers, uh, chief um, digital transformation officers, or heads of analytics, 67% attribute the inability to execute on their data and analytics plans to culture. Um, to quote a survey stat from Randy Bean's new, bo new book, Fail Fast, Learn Faster, it's 92% is that combination of culture, people, and process. So it's a big problem. 92% is a huge number. Yes, I know. It's sad. So what do you do? Yeah. What do, <laughs> you, what, what, you, get, what do we do? you get frustrated and you say, <laughs> let's go buy that shiny new toy. That'll solve everything. And yet the a shiny new toy without also addressing the culture people process problem um, risks becoming shelfware right? Mm -hmm. Which is terrible, terrible. So, you know, I used to think of these as in a way distinct issues, culture and technology. And really it was one of my CDOs who pushed back and said, Cindy, they're really two sides of the same coin. Um, and, and it, as I, as I researched this, as I spoke to more people about it, I, I think it's really true. If I look at organizations with a culture of high trust, high um, culture of innovation, high collaboration, high transparency, then I'm also going to see a technology portfolio that is modern, cloud, augmented analytics, um, collaboration, whether it's via Slack or Teams. If I see a culture of fear, complacency, risk averse, um, their technology stack is probably on-premises, centralized data warehouse, cubes still, <laughs> and, um, you know, generation one or maybe generation two BI tools, but not modern. So, you know, the negative perspective on that could be it's a catch-22, right? Because <laughs> these two yeah. things are tied to each other. But then the opportunity is like, oh, actually, maybe you can ladder these things together. I don't know. Do you have some perspectives on the best way to approach it? Is it kind of a laddering approach of, you know, if you find yourself in one of those fear-based cultures, find that low-hanging fruit and start working your way up the ladder? Yeah. So this is where the debate becomes, can you have a gra grassroots culture innovation or grassroots disruption? And this is where I would never call a department starting with something shadow IT. I think they, they can be your incubation labs and show 
um, the larger organization, the art of the possible. Now you have to say, when does it scale? How do we scale it? So it could be grassroots, but ideal is leadership buys into this and will execute, um, will, will execute. This is also why you see the average tenure for a chief data officer is something like two and a half years. Mm -hmm. If they don't have um, the CEO, the COO, the CRO really agreeing to be a data-driven organization, then um, they'll they'll go elsewhere. These change agents go elsewhere. So I, it is a little bit of both, but um, one, one of our customers said to me that the transparency and the ease that they can share data, the technology of ThoughtSpot is the culture carrier to continuing to build a transparent culture. You made a really interesting point here is that the shadow IT can actually be that incubation lab. And I think that's a really yeah. great observation there. Like if, Instead of you're like, oh, that's bad. Oh, everybody doing this. Like, no, actually take that as an opportunity and saying, wait, they're actually doing something. They're helping people right now. How can we take that? How can we support that and take them out of the shadows, right? But but for that to really happen, you need to have that. It needs to be coming from the top, right? Executive leadership. Um, but but then it's, but again, the catch-22, how do, what, what do we need to go do to take that leadership to realize, look, you come from an industry which is a very risk-averse, right? finance, insurance, right? They're super risk averse. What do they have to go do to switch? Is this a, a generation change? Is this, we got to take them to some boot camps? Uh, we got to, uh, what, what, we... and, and I wouldn't say, okay, how risk averse are they? As, um, as one of my insurance customers said, we know risk well, so they take calculated <laughs> risks. <laughs> and that's where I would always advise start small and start with what is the business outcome you're trying to optimize to. And so if you're fully in an on-premises world, you know what, take, take one data set, um, choose your cloud platform, choose your analytics platform, learn the art of the possible of working in a more agile way and and getting to those granular insights and start that with one use case and then and then get your quick win then rinse repeat scale this is something i think it's a common theme that we hear throughout the entire podcast we talk to people about this right it's start small have a very good use case connected to business outcome uh quick wins right be agile about this I, 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 I sometimes wonder if it's, I mean, we, we keep saying this all over, over and over again, and, and it makes so much sense. And we've done this and we know this can be happened, but, but I don't know. Some people are just like, they're not going to go do it. I don't, I don't know. It's just so frustrating. Or, yeah, it is frustrating because it's almost like you, you have the top of the organization that knows what they want to do, or they keep hearing, oh, our business would run so much better if we were data driven, or I think you know, these analytics and next best action is really possible. Um, and then you have some data people that know they're sitting on a gold mine of data if only they could get it out to more business users. So I think the disconnect happens in the middle. The, the top will know the why and may know the art of the possible. Um, so this is where do you go bottoms up and somebody says, well, I don't really know the business problem you're trying to solve. 
but I have to believe that this data is of value. Can I do a rapid prototyping? I mean, this is also why I think putting the hand, putting data in the hands of the business people who know the why, who know the opportunity, if we can make it easy, then, then that's, that's a good thing. Um, you do have to work on the data fluency skills. They have to understand what they're looking at. But again, I mean, the, the best customers, when I talk to them or data chief podcast guests, they'll talk about data fluency very specifically that it's about teaching the language of the business. It's not about the technology. It's just what are the touch points that data has in our business operations. And again, that makes data not scary, but more like, oh, I want that. So you mentioned data fluency. And that's one thing. And there's another thing around sort of like data silos, whether people have different understanding of or different access to the data. Do you know, if you are in an environment that's heavily siloed, and or yeah. you're in an environment that has low fluency, can data democratization or sort of self-service analytics be a bad thing? Or is that mitigatable? It's mitigatable. Um, so can it be a bad thing? Well, this goes back to culture. If you're going to manipulate the data and make it lie, what we would call vanity metrics, that's a bad thing. <laughs> and I think, you know, somebody once said to me, PowerPoint is where data goes to die. And I would add, and that's also an easier place to make it lie. So let's not do that. Let's stop that legacy process. But um, data will always have different meanings in a particular context. I like the example of sales. For a salesperson, okay, Juan, Tim, what do they most care about? How much money they're making. Yes, their commission. How about for a finance person? What do they care about? How much money came in and where it's going? Yes, cash flow. Has it been paid? So their definition of sales this month, uh, the salesperson may say, it's when I booked the order, I got the PO. The finance person will be, no, it's when I got the money. Um, and so so the definitions matter. And that's really then um, data fluency comes into play here. And I liken it to reading. The more you practice, the better you're going to get at it. So start small. Start with just how you understand that definition of sales and then be aware of these other definitions. So so th th this, this specific topic is something dear to my heart because that, that's my, uh, my academic background, working on knowledge and semantics and everything. Um, and I, I feel that this is something that we lack right now. Uh, in, in the industry, I think that we we focus so much on data. Give me data, data. We need more data. I need data to go answer my questions. But when it comes to like, what does this stuff actually mean, right? How many definitions we have for an order? This is my example. I would order. You ask different people, different the same question. How many orders were placed this month? You get different answers. Why? Because the order means how many, uh, when somebody clicked checkout, when the credit card was swiped and the money came in, when the package was delivered, right? Everybody's wrong, but everything's right, everybody's right and wrong at the same time. We're not keeping track of this knowledge. And I think right. there's this big disconnect right now about, I just need more data. Give me more data. And I'm like, wait, if, if all you needed was more data and our problems would be solved, 
that's not true right now because I can give you more data and we still are we, we but the, the, the joke I always I always say right I can take a rocket to space bring it back to earth it can land in the middle of a of a platform in the middle of the Pacific Ocean but I still don't know if these two spreadsheets match right this yes. is ridiculous right but these things don't we don't understand these matches because we don't know what this stuff actually means but we don't spend so much time thinking about the knowledge the semantics it's all about just give me access to the data and I feel that this is this is something that really scares me because we're just going to keep going back in the same circle of stuff of like, well, here's data here. You got an answer. But how do you know that is actually the right answer? What does right actually mean and to whom? Yeah, yeah. So um, so I love your passion here. And so let's uh, there's a couple things. Gar as Gartner said it, the data catalog is the new black. So, um, you know, the space that that. Um, data world plays in and some of your competitors like Alation, I think bringing these definitions in is super important. Um, but, but more importantly, well, so capturing the definitions, but you've got to surface these definitions at the point of insight so that I know, am I getting sales based on what's been paid or what's actually been invoiced in a PO. I need to know that when I'm looking at a sales number. Um, the other thing is, yeah, we have plenty of data. Um, more data is not the problem. It's the right data and it's accessible to the right people. I think I'm looking at, at Sonia's comment right here is that the, the problem of common data definitions and understanding states gets exacerbated when, the when you democratize with having good governance practices. I think I I tend to agree. I, I agree with that, but I think also it's it's trying there's this balance about how much you want to have of governance, right? How much is it centralized? Are you actually able to decentralize some of this stuff, right? I think that there's some common terms that we do need to centralize. And there's some other things that can be every business unit can probably have their own definition for that. And actually that's fine if we make it explicit, if people know about that and, and they know. They, they know that there are multiple definitions. They know where they can go find them. And I think part of the education of being data fluent and, and have a data culture is that if somebody asks you, or gives you data about something, you know that you should ask the question, wait, what type of order are you talking about? And, oh, I'm talking about this order. Oh, okay, good. I can use that data, right? Being able to know what questions you should be asking when you're starting to get that data, I think that's what makes us fluent with data. And I think that's something that we need to go in. That's the part of the culture that we need to embed within organizations. Yeah, that's true. And so I've never used this platform before. So now I'm seeing some of the chats coming in. And so I have to say hi to Sonia down in Australia. Um, she shares some lovely pictures of her beach views. And I know she's a loyal listener to your podcast and to the Data Chief. So um, great comments here, Sonia. Tim, I know you wanted a couple things or we need to want to take it to our take uh, to our uh, lightning round. Well, I mean, we talked about a lot of really good stuff here, and I'm, I'm, I'm kind of thinking about, you know, we talked a little bit about culture, we talked a little bit about technology, we talked about the importance of self-service and how we can make it a reality, even in an environment where it might be kind of challenged. Um, I just see in our notes here, one thing that we were thinking about talking about is like what it means to live in a fact-driven world. And it sounds like we're kind of revolving around that with this whole discussion of like, how do we bring those facts to the fore? And even when we talk about sort of things like semantics, it's it's about trust and explainability as well. Um, I don't know if, Cindy, you have an ad additional thoughts or perspectives on sort of that topic. 
Yeah, I mean, so ThoughtSpot's mission is to create a fact-driven world. And I will often say a fact-driven world is a better world. Um, we can use data to close the wide gap in diversity and equity. But I, for example, or it's about getting the right products to the right customer at the right time. So there's so many... Um, you know, energy, Schneider Electric, you know, they want to make sure that energy is available to everyone, but in a sustainable way. And data is powering that. Now, this understanding the data, this, as much as we're tired of talking about COVID, um, oh my gosh, like we, we can't, we don't give numbers in context. It, it pains me. I mean, if I say, what is our vaccination rate? There is a number for the US, there is a number for the state of New Jersey, um, but is that rate for adults or is it for the total population? Every media outlet and every health and human services department is quoting that differently. So then you really don't know, am I going into a higher risk area or am I not? Um, and, and, and then we have the data gaps of who's not getting COVID, who's actually more resistant to it, um, or has already had it. So I think that's where the, the data fluency and the definitions all come together. Yep. I, I couldn't agree more. And, uh, you know, we started off talking about data DJs, but maybe we're also sort of, uh, data investigators, data, you know, uh, you know, there's the, the data journalists, right? Trying to get yeah. to the bottom line, getting to the truth, right? Yeah. And the data journalists using data storytelling to communicate um, particular events. I think this is another skill that analysts as well as business people need to embrace. Well, I think this is a, a great segue into our lightning round, which uh, we got a couple of questions here now, and I, I'll kick it off. So, okay. yes or no? Cindy, do you like the term data citizen? No. Hmm. <laughs> do quick, I have to quick, say why? I mean, any, any quick follow-up now? I mean, that was a very, uh, very specific no. That was confident. <laughs> no. <laughs> All right. Does... Does BI, so, you know, there's a few perspectives on sort of the future of BI, right? Do you see that BI becomes for everyone or that BI fades into the background, aka transparent, embedded, you know, operational analytics, et cetera? So I would say that, yes, for analytics, there will be, so again, I'm resisting the term BI as a legacy term. So I want analytics for the analytics professionals that might be a standalone app that I'm logging onto. For an operational person, it might be embedded in their operational um, system or their workflow. Um, for the non-analyst, the business person, I might just be getting an insight on my phone um, via an app or what have you. All right, next question. Has self-service data prep been a reality? Um, yes, it's definitely a reality, but I don't think it's smart enough yet. So I'd like to see some more augmentation or AI infused in the data preparation. But yes, self-service um, 
data prep. I mean, I'd have to really refer to Alteryx as really leading in in this category. Hmm. And then final lightning round question here. Um, do good data governance and good analytics go hand in hand? Yes. Am I allowed to elaborate? Yes, <laughs> please. Yes, please, please. <laughs> Sorry. Um, but okay, go governance, it has sometimes it needs to be after the fact governance or the right level of governance. So as Sonia pointed out, regulatory reports, you want to have that more regulated, more curated. But if I'm doing an exploration around what was our ad spend, how well did our campaign work? I don't want that to be tightly governed before I can actually explore the data. You might say, well, Cindy, don't share that so widely until we're sure some of these calculations are right or that we're not revealing private information. So right-sizing governance is important, whereas historically, because the technology was hard, everything was tightly governed. And I don't think we've had these two speeds, a fast lane and a slow lane. I love that perspective. And, you know, at Data.World, we talk about this concept, agile data governance, when we kind of talk about this of like, how do you be careful not to do too much of the top down approach or let me build out the perfect sort of governance system before I ever let somebody have access. And that's a great yeah. way to just stifle innovation. Yep. All right. Well, Cindy, we can keep talking for hours and I look forward to finally meeting you in person soon. So we can have this conversation, but we need to start wrapping up. And I know we always do our, our TTT, which is Tim takes it away with takeaways. So Tim, <laughs> you go first and I'll go after. Sure. Yeah. So my takeaways are, uh, I love it. And when you said, should everyone be a data DJ? Yes. Should everyone be able to answer business questions with data? Yes. Should everyone be an analyst? No. Because I think it kind of puts it into perspective about how different personas and different levels of data skills comes to play with the type of user experience, but yet the ability to get access to the information you need uh, should operate within a business. And so I think that's a really good high level context. Um, when you said granular data, that's where, you know, that's kind of where the money is that I thought that was a very important concept around uh, making sure not to the, the third thing here, I don't want you building cubes, right? Um, and making sure that folks uh, do the right things there. Uh, and then before I hand it to you, Juan, uh, uh, the low code, no code thing, right? It, you know, it's a way to uh, have an easier way to answer questions. And uh, it's a change. It's different. It might make Juan a little bit uncomfortable, but um, uh, it's something maybe we need to embrace, right? And it's a way that we're moving here. What about you, Juan? Well, I my main takeaways, I mean, there's so much stuff, but I, I'm really going to center on the culture. I, I love having these conversations and, and, and realizing that we're all acknowledging that culture is a big problem, right? It's not just about technology, it's culture. And you highlighted a lot of really important things. So culture and technology are problems are really two sides of the same coin. That one, I'm going to quote you on that one, right? Uh, the culture of high trust innovation implies that you're probably already doing modern technology cloud, that you're collaborating. You have a culture of fear and you're risk averse. You're probably on-prem, you're centralized, you're doing queues, which you stop doing. Stop doing cubes, right? Um, and then I, I really like this opportunity of saying, hey, if you have a shadow IT, don't see that as a negative. Like, turn that into a positive. That's an incubation lab. It could be something grassroots to go do, but leadership really needs to buy into this. How? Well, start small, 
tie this directly to the business outcomes and what you're trying to optimize. Learn the art of the possible. You have to work agile about this. Start with the use case and just celebrate those quick wins. And I think what another, another interesting observation is that people at the top get it, people at the bottom get it, but it's something in the middle where, the, where is this disconnect. And that's what we, what we really need to go work on. And when we talk about data fluency, it's not just about teaching the technology, it's teaching the language of the business. And this, and this I really like because next to what I'm thinking a lot about, we need to start thinking about a world where it's not just data first, but it's knowledge first. This is, uh, how did we do? Good takeaways? Anything I'm else so impressed. Yes. <laughs> well, Cindy. That, that's great. Well, I, I mean, we're, we were taking notes every time we we're talking. Yeah, this is all you. Stuff. We just take notes. <laughs> we, just, we just took your notes about your, your stuff. So this is great. So, I'm going to invite you to our ex executive meetings. Uh, let, give us a <laughs> recap. <laughs> we'll definitely do it. Yeah. So to wrap up, I want to throw it back to you, Cindy. One, what's your advice? about data, about life, whatever. And second, who should we invite next? Yeah. Um, so it, it advice, stop, stop building legacy things, challenge yourself. So no more dead end dashboards and, and don't feel like you made a bad decision. Take control of your career, recognize that state of the art keeps changing. So how are you going to invest in yourself and bring your company forward, your careers forward? This, I mean, I've been here 30 years and yet now is the time for data and analytics. We are the power behind the fourth industrial revolution. It's so exciting. So, um, but don't work yourselves to death. So it's about doing more with less and working working smarter. Um, and that's what I'm super excited about. And who who should you have? Yes. <laughs> oh, there's, there's so many. You know who I still want to hear from? Or how about the new, um, the US now has a new chief data scientist. I, I still wonder like about it does um, Israel must have a US chief data scientist or chief data officer. Um, I just think there's a lot of innovation in that country. I don't know that they share this, but I would be curious um, to hear to hear from that person if, if he or she exists like another country's perspective of somebody in that sort of position, right? Well, you look how quickly they, um, how quickly they responded to the pandemic from a technology viewpoint. Hmm. And that is a, a lot of data. Um, I think that would be really, really interesting. Um, otherwise, yeah. Well, that's a great bar. Let's see if we can make that happen. Well, ne next week we have Andy Palmer, who's the CEO from Tamer. So that's all going to be a great discussion too. Uh, and with that, Cindy, thank you so much. This thank was a, you. This was a, a year right. and a half thinking that the hope waiting for this day. So I'm so happy we did this and looking forward to having more conversations later on. Thank Cheers. you as well. Cheers. Have Cheers, a great Cindy. night, everyone. And we'll clink in person at, in 2022. Definitely. This Let's do that. catalog and cocktails. Oh.